I'm looking forward to that. This morning we continue our study through the book of First uh, uh, John, or John's first letter. So it is his letter, and we are in First John chapter three. First John chapter three. So the title of this morning's message is, Whose Child Are You? You can ask that question in many different ways. Whose child are you? Whose child are you? And I know that's, that second way of asking the question is one that sometimes children hear. <laughs> Whose child are you? Right? But we're going to look through this. We're going to be going through the first 10 verses of 1 John chapter 3. So let's begin by reading. John writes, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we read these verses Lord, you use John the Beloved as an instrument to bring this about. Lord, we are reminded of the love that you have for us. Lord, reminded of the fact that we belong to you now and forevermore. Those who have completely surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Lord, they are. They are yours. We are yours. And at the same time, Lord, we are confronted, Lord, with, uh, with sin. Lord, and as John writes, by this is written, that, that we may know that we have eternal life. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak to us, remind us of the love that you have for us, and at the same time, that which is an offense to you, 
that we may not live a lifestyle of compromise, of sin, but rather, Lord, a life that reflects the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and blesses and honors you. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this moment. Speak to us. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to focus on you and teach us all things that pertain to life and godliness as we see them in the pages of Scripture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I had uh, made reference to how this question would be asked uh, of a child, right? But when a child acts in a shameful manner, that is rebellious, disobedient, selfish, or vulgar, a parent can be known to ask, whose child are you, right? You know, as, um, as parents, we go back and forth and we say, well, uh, your son, whenever you say your son or your daughter is doing this, we know that they're not doing something that's good, right? The question is asked because a child is acting in a way that does not reflect the desire or, or the character of the parents. The child is demonstrating a disregard for them in that moment. Being disobedient, or even worse, a disdain for them. If it's continuous, right? Could be because of pride. Oftentimes that is the root, pride. The question is implying that their child is behaving in a way that is indicating they must belong to someone else. The concern with those in the fellowship of the saints, as we read through these verses, that, that is the fellowship of the saints, the church, you and I, is who indeed, who genuinely, who sincerely each one of us belongs to. Eternally speaking, eventually who they are and who they belong to is evident by their actions and proven by their fruit. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Jesus' teaching, he, he said this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so after a while what happens is we don't we're not judging the hearts of people but we see their fruit. What is their fruit? This is what the Lord tells us to discern so that we can, as we see their fruit, discern whether they are of the Lord or of their father, the devil. This is what we see here. And I will go to another section of scripture 
in which Jesus confronts very boldly the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And we'll see that as well. In James chapter 1, verse 22, James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. John begins this section beautifully by pointing out the love and relationship that we have with God and what is to come in glory and how that affects who we are right now. But in contrast, John explains how the person who practices habitual sin proves whom he really belongs to, the devil. Because again, the importance of this is to know that you have eternal life. And by the way, this was written to the church. This was not written to the world. This was written to the church. John the Beloved was writing to the church. And in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, which I've referred to often and I will continue to refer to often as we go through this letter. He writes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's one thing that we need to be certain of. Do we have eternal life? That's what's important. Again, as I have pointed out before, too many people are walking around thinking that they have eternal life and outwardly are living in just absolute compromised in sin. If you were to take inventory of yourself, what would the evidence prove? Whose child are you? We begin in verse 1 once more with a reference to the Father's children. See what kind of love the Father has given us. That we should be called children of God, and so we are. He goes on to say, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. You know, it's been said that if you want to see the brilliance of a diamond pronounced, laid upon a dark background. You know, you go into a jewelry store and you ask to see a diamond ring, a diamond pendant. You know, you have that black velvet and it's laid up against that. And John begins by showing the brilliance and beauty of God's love and our relationship with him as his children. And of course, as we read, he lays it upon the contrasting dark and different backdrop of what is obviously not of God. And very clearly says, is of the devil. That first word that we see there, see. I know in some translations, it's behold. Behold, whether it's behold or see, it means to see, to understand. Because God's desire, as we read here, is that we would understand his love. First and foremost, what is it that draws us to the Lord? It's his kindness. It's not, it's not the law. The law actually points out that we're sinners. What draws us to God? Oh, his his love, his kindness is what the word tells us. And at the very front here, John lays out, hey, listen, understand this. 
Understand, if you, if you don't understand anything, understand this. Understand the Father's love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The thief on the cross understood that in that moment. There was nothing else necessary for him to know eternal life. To know that today he would indeed be in paradise with Jesus. Nothing else. Begins with the beauty of God's love for us. To understand his love, to see it for what it is, not what we think it is, not our interpretation of love, but what it actually is. To see is to understand it, to know it, to receive it, to abide in it, to live according to it. You know, when something is explained to us and we finally understand it, we say, oh, right, as the kids did on Sunday or, or on, uh, for the, the, the program. Oh, I see. There should be those moments in our lives as we read God's word often. They, they should happen to us often. Oh, I see. Why is that? It's because we've subjected ourselves and submitted ourselves to the Lordship of God. And he is taking us through the process of sanctification. And as we read God's word, as we study God's word, as we meditate on God's word, and he gives us understanding in those moments, it's so awesome because we have not yet attained, right? It's like, oh, in that moment, it's like, oh, I see. I understand. God wants us to understand that the kind of love that he has for us is relational, not transactional. In other words, the love he has for us depends on him. As was explained by Modesto, as we, he gave the devotion for, to prepare us for communion, it's, it's his finished work. There's nothing that we could add to it. That's, that's God's grace. That's his love toward us. The love that he has given us is that perfect love that he has demonstrated through his son. And being born of God is being born into his family. We literally have the indwelling of his spirit when we repent and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus lives within us. His spirit seals us for the day of redemption. In fact, it's interesting when Jesus was told that his mother, brothers, and sisters were outside. And, he, and I'm paraphrasing, he said, oh, these are my brothers and sisters right here. And referring to those that were around him, those who do the will of the Father. 
That word also means to, to look upon this truth, the word, intently. To gaze upon it. To be amazed by it. To meditate on the fact that God loves us with an everlasting love. Think about it often. He also says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Sometimes we're always trying to, you know, we, we desire that everyone just understand us. Why, why, why can't they just understand me? Don't, don't waste too much energy on that. Especially as a Christian, don't, don't spend your time trying to get the world to like you. The world will not like you. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Listen, the world does not know us. Just as a family wouldn't know a child from a different family, so the world doesn't know you who belong to God. If you were to just place two families up here, the things that are common with one family would be foreign to another. You're like, we don't do things that way. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, practically speaking, if you were to do that, that would be true, right? We don't, we don't do that. Well, in a spiritual and eternal way. The world does not understand the children of God because the children of God do not belong to the world and the world does not know the Father, therefore doesn't know the children. Does that make sense? They don't know you because they don't know your father. Turn with me to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, verse 14. <clears throat> this is Jesus' prayer. To the Father. He says in verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world, the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That is, set apart from the world and unto the Lord and his service and his glory. I read that so that we may understand the love that the Father has for us. And as we remain here on earth, prior to entering into glory, we need to understand and behold and see and gaze upon the love of God above all. Understand this lavish, this extravagant love that God has given to us by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That is critical for us. But when we see him, verse 2 says, Beloved, we are not God's children, or we are God's children now, sorry. And, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So we shall be like him. 
John goes on to encourage the believers that they are God's children now. It's not that you will be children then, but you're children now. We can be discouraged, you see, by the relentless difficulties of life. Overwhelmed by the battles that we experience the battles that we encounter against the flesh, the world, and Satan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, very encouraging words, the Apostle Paul writes in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. You know, John Stott wrote, quote, we are, uh, What we are does not now appear to the world. What we shall be does not yet appear to us, close quote. But we are to hold on and know that God's word is true and he is faithful. And we shall be with him one day. One day we will be in our glorified bodies in the glorious presence of God for all eternity. And ultimately, we will be like Jesus, our character and our very nature, perfectly reflecting the image of Jesus' perfection. And nothing will be present to hinder or restrict us in that. Oh, that day will be truly wonderful. And then forevermore. Belonging to God, though, should lead to, as he writes in verse 3, purity. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord, right? Hope in Christ leads to purity. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know, as we consider God's holiness, we are to make every effort to live a righteous life. Knowing that we will be like Jesus, reflecting his character and nature perfectly in glory, should make us desire to be more like that today. I want to be more Christ-like. I want to bless and honor and reflect his glory. In fact, it is a desire and the exercise of the will to be pure in spirit because our hope is embedded in Jesus Christ who is pure and holy. Now, does this mean that we'll achieve perfection in the sight of heaven? No. There are some people who believe that. At some point, we can achieve that. Can you imagine that? Sinlessness, this side of heaven. We're never told that. In scripture. No, we'll never achieve perfection, but we are to be mature in our thinking and discipline ourselves in the things that reflect the character and nature of Jesus in our lives. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure, all things are pure. 
But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. So John lays this out. This brilliant and beautiful love that God has for us. What he desires of us. And in whose love we are to abide in. And with that, John now gives us the contrast. And it is strikingly different. It is not even close to the brilliance of God's love. It is quite the opposite. Its intent is to destroy our relationship with the Father. So don't be deceived. Verse 4 says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. You practice what you are. We need to understand that the practice of sin is an attack on the relationship of God. That that which he desires for us to have with him. And to sin is to disregard the word of God. Therefore, sin is to disregard God himself. This is why in verse 4, it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. It's a disregard for the very word of God. Yeah, but who stops sinning? Don't we all fall short of the glory of God? After all, the Bible says none is righteous, no, not one, right? All sin, all fall short. In fact, when we sin and we ask for forgiveness, doesn't God's grace abound? Listen, there's a difference between choosing to do something in spite of conviction, the Spirit's conviction, knowingly avoiding the practice of discipline, and doing something by accident or unintentionally. There's something just different. We're not talking about the unintentional, that which is by accident, that which is not done purposefully. The person who's convicted before doing something and disregards it is different from the person who sincerely was not aware in the moment that they were doing something that wasn't right. And then to continue doing something known is actually sin. And it proves that the person doesn't even know God. This is habitual sin. This is continuing to do those things, which is an affront to God. This is not something that we determine for each other. This is something that is always determined by God. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, said this in in his defense. He says in chapter 4, verse 1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby 
acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I bring that up because the Apostle Paul also said, hey, it, if it offends my brother right, to eat meat, I'll never eat meat again. I, I just won't do it. The question is, is it a sin to eat meat? I ask you. No. But the Apostle Paul was willing, right? If it offends my brother. Uh, don't ask. If, so, if someone invites you over, uh, don't ask where the, where the meat came from, right? Don't ask you know, where the food came from. If you, if you realize, if you understand, it comes to your knowledge that it was offered to idols, then don't eat it for the sake of your brother's conscience, right? But there is no other God but the Lord himself. I bring that up because of this, the season that we're in. We're, you know, it's highly unlikely that Jesus was born on December 25th. All right? And if you have a tree in your living room, it doesn't mean you're in sin. All right? We are very quick to judge things like that. So we need to be careful about those things, right? Um, the Apostle Paul, uh, he called Peter out when he was okay with the Gentiles and eating with them. As soon as the Israelites came, the Jews came, he was quick to like separate himself from the Gentiles, right? And Paul called him out, hey, you know, be consistent. And in fact, those who look upon those things in, in, in a way that is judging your brother's heart, actually, you are considered to be weak. Not in a, I, this, is, this is not in a derogatory way or trying to knock anyone down. Okay, it, it's not for that reason. There are things when I was a young Christian, new to the faith, that I'm glad I didn't know. You see, my wife and I, we talk about this. When we first came into the church and we surrendered our lives to Christ, we were just talking about this not too, too long ago. Yeah, we were like, man, we're a part of a group now that's just like, we thought, man, perfection, right? Like, this is, this is like, this is it right here. There's, there's no lying, backbiting. Uh, there, there's, there's nothing, like, I see this love that one has for one another. And it wasn't until later I, we figured out, right, that, oh, we still have the flesh and things to work through. Um, I'll give you this example. Again, as far as kids are concerned. There are some things at their age that they're not ready to be exposed to, to know, right? Later on, they are, right? And you explain to them and you let them understand the reality of things. This is what it is. At a younger age, they wouldn't understand at all. They'd misinterpret. They wouldn't know exactly what that is. They wouldn't know what to do with it. And they could be traumatized. So I say this 
to understand, be careful. Be careful. We cannot determine and judge our peers in those things, especially during this time. That's why I bring it up, during this time of Christmas. Because a lot of that's going on. We can't do that. We got to be careful with that. What we're referring to here and what we see here in 1 John is the practice of actual lawlessness, a complete disregard for the word of God. Jesus took away the penalty of our sin, the power of sin, and will one day take away the presence of sin. One day, sin will not be in our presence. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We have no power to make ourselves victorious over sin. Did you know that? No power. Zero. We have no authority. Only God does. But since it is true that Jesus came to take away our sin, and since he does have the power over our sin... And since he indwells in us, then we are to not keep on sinning. We're new creatures, as I refer to 2 Corinthians 5.17. New hearts, new desires. This means that we don't make sinning our lifestyle. What we give in to doing and eventually that which we continually do proves whom we belong to. To say we commune with Christ and still sin in a habitual, continuous, unbroken sequence is to prove that one does not really belong to him. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in, in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. With that, we understand sin no longer has the same power it once had over us. I still struggle in the same things. You know what? It may be something that is there, but no longer has the power it once had. There, there are things that I gave myself before Christ. And I have people in this room that can testify on my behalf 
that after I surrendered my life to Christ, those things were no longer a part of me. In this room, not just my wife. So we cannot justify, we cannot claim that we have no, we don't have, you know, what it takes to overcome sin. Yeah, you do. It's clear in Scripture, we do. Dead to sin, alive in Christ. It no longer has the power it once did. Reckon it dead. Quit living in habitual, continual sin, a lifestyle of sin. You, you cannot do that and prove that you are God's just because you declare it. You can't do that. Therefore, it is clear. In verse 8, As John says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. Uh, this is not an opinion. This is a declaration. It is a statement made by God. Whoever disregards the word of God and knowingly practices sin is a child of the devil, and eternal condemnation awaits them, hell, one day being cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. You need to know this. Again, as we're reminded, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Well, we see it laid out plainly for us. In John 10.10, 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, as Jesus said, that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And in John chapter 8, verse 41, this is a reference to the confrontation that Jesus had with the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the day. In which he said to them, beginning in verse 41, you are doing the works of your father uh, the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not 
of God. You see, one born of the Spirit cannot keep on sinning because they are new in Christ with a new heart that desires to glorify God. It's a whole new purpose in life, right? We realize we're here to glorify God. And our desire is to serve the one who ransomed us, who paid with his lifeblood that we may honor and glorify him. And Jesus was telling these men, you are not of the Father. For if you were of the Father, you would hear my words. Jesus in that moment was not condemning them. Their words condemned them. One day, he will judge. But in that moment, he came for the purpose of dying even for them. Shedding his blood. No one born of the Spirit can keep on sinning because you're a new creature in Christ. There's this new relationship that you enjoy with God that you've never known. In fact, Bettina and I were talking how it is, and she, she remembered that moment when she was sitting on the couch. She opened up the Scriptures and said she understood. She understood the word of God and I'm eternally grateful to the Lord for give me a wife that loves the Lord. Enjoying this relationship with Jesus, serving him alongside each other. Truly wonderful. There's a new relationship that we get to enjoy. You see, in that very moment, the Lord could have called us up. That's it. Place your trust in me and bring you on home. But we're here for the purpose of testifying of the truth. Just as Jesus came to testify of the truth. So in light of that, as we consider what we have here, one has to be honored and the other disregarded. Either Jesus is honored and sin is disregarded, or sin is honored and Jesus is disregarded. There's no in between. You see, John's language in light of what we just read as far as what Jesus spoke is not too harsh. Otherwise, Jesus' words would also be too harsh, as we read in John chapter 8. As we read and we saw at the end of verse 10, it says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. In, in the coming weeks, as we continue to study this chapter, we will also learn how who we belong to is further proven by whether and how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ or not. 
and what that actually looks like. Something important for us to keep in mind. So, number one, see the love that God has for us. Because his love for us has been demonstrated through Jesus and we are called his children. I'll rejoice in that. Hallelujah. Praise God that we belong to him. He is ours and we are his, right? Secondly, if you practice righteousness, you belong to God. That's the good news, right? If you practice righteousness, you, you look at your life like, no, I'm, I am walking with the Lord. My desire is to walk with him and, and to bless him, to glorify him by the manner in which I conduct myself, the way I live, the way I serve him. Because no one abide, who abides in him keeps on sinning. But then we must also understand, thirdly, that if you practice sin, you belong to Satan. There's no in-between. There's nothing. And beyond this life, it's not like you can help yourself and get there. That's it. And tomorrow's promise to no one. So choose today whom you will serve. Because whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. We cannot work on being righteous. We are wretched. None is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our righteousness is like a dirty garment, polluted garment. It is absolute, completely worthless before a holy and righteous God. We cannot work on being righteous, but we know that we can abide in the one who is righteous. In Christ, sinners become saints who are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, who joyfully serve the one who delivered them from condemnation and into a glorious hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. So to whom do you belong? You know that for certain this morning. You can, as I said from the very beginning, let's take inventory. This morning as I as I close in asking that, each one of us knows who we belong to. You see, at the moment we hear the truth, we're no longer deceived. We know truth. It's at that point that we're accountable for choosing what to do. I plead with you. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Allow him to give you a new heart, a new hope, a new purpose. Allow him to seal you with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, and he will keep you as he ushers you in to his very presence. Surrender your life to him. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him, we shall be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I pray that we choose that. But it does fall on you, on each one of us, and we will be held accountable for that very thing. We did know for certain. And I close with this, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, 
I thank you, Lord, that you make it abundantly clear how it is that we can know where we stand. In fact, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's your word that tells us exactly where we stand in the direction in which we're moving. And so I ask, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. That if there's someone that's here that does not know you, that does not have that eternal relationship with you, knowing that they have been forgiven of their sins, Lord, that today be the day of salvation. Today be the day where they completely surrender their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Lord, give them that new heart. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Seal them for the day of redemption. May they know the forgiveness that can only be known by grace, by your grace. Being new creatures who know their purpose. Knowing that they have been forgiven and one day will be in your presence for all eternity. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather together. This is the fellowship of the saints. And so, Father, I pray that, that the bride of Christ, the church, Lord, is better for having heard the word. That we may be reminded of your love for us and rejoice that we belong to you. May we worship you and serve you in spirit and in truth. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.